This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Monday, September 9th, 2013. I'm Caleb Brown. Even though the President and Secretary of State have made repeated loud claims that Bashar Assad used chemical weapons against Syrians, the people of the United States still aren't ready for another war. Chris Preble, Vice President for Defense and Foreign Policy Studies at the Cato Institute, offers his thoughts. I think the reason that these punches aren't landing, that uh, John Kerry and President Obama are making with respect to this uh, possible use of uh, chemical weapons by the Assad regime is they view uh, that, uh, if it is absolutely proved to be true, as the end result, and then we leap immediately to action. And it seems like everybody else, uh, mostly on the other side of the debate, is saying, no, 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 that's just the start of a different debate. That's not the end of the debate. Right. No, I think that's right. I think that for the administration, the the use of chemical weapons is the critical factor and proving the use of chemical weapons, you know, to a sufficient degree is, is the whole point of their presentation. And that's what Dennis McDonough was doing yesterday on the Sunday morning shows. And that's what uh, Secretary Kerry was doing last week. But if you look at the polling data, the polling data asked the American people, do you believe that Bashar Assad used chemical weapons? And the vast majority of Americans believe that he did use chemical weapons. And they still are opposed to military intervention. I think the reason why is is twofold. Number one, there is a sense that uh, U.S. intervention will not it certainly won't bring back to life the people killed by chemical weapons. It won't bring back to life the 100,000 killed by conventional munitions. But it might make the problem worse in Syria for the Syrian people, and it might make the problem worse for the United States. This is not a vital U.S. national security interest. This does not uh, directly threaten the United States. The best that people can say or the the most that people can say uh, to – to allege that this is about national security is that, well, these chemical weapons may fall into the hands of terrorists who would use them against us. That's right. But they're more likely to fall into the hands of terrorists if the, if the Assad regime collapses completely and those stockpiles, which are still in existence, fall into the hands of the 27 or some odd Syrian opposition groups, many of whom are not friendly to the United States. One of the claims that uh, people like John McCain and Lindsey Graham are making that uh, this is all about warning. To the extent that U.S. credibility is, quote unquote, on the line here, it's all about our ability to uh, sort of sideways threaten other countries to, I don't know, do what exactly? Right. Yeah, the credibility argument is is really silly um, it, because it, it ignores that what what makes a threat credible or not is the interests at stake behind it. So precisely because we have very minimal security interests in Syria, our credibility is low. In other areas where we have a clear national security interest at stake, no one can question our willingness to use our, our, our military to defend those vital interests. No one can credibly claim that, credibly. Um, and so I, I find this credibility argument really bizarre. There is a, a small element of it that has to do with the president's credibility. The president made a you know drew this red line, but that doesn't mean uh, that that his uh, authority is synonymous with that of the United States. And, fr- and frankly, if he doesn't have the American people behind him, then then it's not a credible threat. That's what we're learning as we see this political uh, theater play out. Um, I think that the 
the attempt to link this to other issues is really a distraction and, and not um, just not helpful. Uh, what is happening in Syria is horrible. It is a horrible tragedy. You have millions of refugees both in the surrounding countries and internally displaced in Syria. And it has been horrible for two and a half years. I am one of many people who are who have serious doubts that the United States could have changed that situation two and a half years ago, and I am less convinced that we can do so today. It is tragic, but we are recognizing, I think, finally, that while we have a very capable military that is able to defend this country from threats, no one can question that. That military cannot put back together countries that have completely and utterly fallen apart, and that's what's happening in Syria. There's another issue here that I think comes up every time, for lack of a better term, hawks want to engage in some sort of uh, attack or engage in some sort of uh, war activity, is that the institutions of government are not taken as a given. Mm -hmm. That is, the debate that we have in public about going to war is uh, bothersome and is unnecessary and in some cases is treated as actively destructive to what they perceive to be uh, the necessary aims of the government. Right. No, I think that's true. I think that especially among those who are, who are consistent advocates for using the military, they recognize that the American people are extremely reluctant to use the military, especially for issues that are not directly connected to national security. And the advocates for war, are, they, they fear that. They are distrustful of that. And so they work assiduously to circumvent public opinion, to make the case that the president does not need to go to Congress, does not need to appeal to the public for these things. And they are disturbed when the president does these things. They were horrified when the president reversed course, apparently just entirely on his own initiative, it appears. Uh, the, the key factor was, I think, the defeat of the, of the uh, vote in the British Parliament last week when David Cameron lost that vote. That was a big deal, and that, that turned uh, opinion pretty decisively. But, um, you know, what does it say about these people who profess to be great fans of democracy throughout the Arab world? They want to see, Arab, uh, they want to see democracy grow and flourish, and yet they are so disdainful of what the public actually wishes here in this country. I think it says a lot about what their true motives are. The president will uh, address Congress uh, tomorrow night as we're recording this on Monday. Mm -hmm. Do you expect there to just be another case made that these things happened, now we must go to, act, must we go to action? Or is there going to be some attempt to at least to justify uh, a specific strategy uh, that Americans could say, oh, well, that seems fine? Well, who knows? Of course, we'll find out. I'll be watching very carefully. I'll be live blogging about it. Um, uh, the president, it seems to me, has to make the case at a minimum, not merely that bad things have happened, but that our intervention will make things better. I think that is a very hard case to make, maybe an impossible case to make. And then combine that with the fact that politics pull in a different direction. There are many Republicans in the House that won't vote for the president no matter what. But I still believe, I hope I'm wrong, but I still believe that there are 
quite a number of Republicans in the House and, 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 mo- and a majority of Democrats who will ultimately vote with the president. So I think this vote will be very, very close. In the Senate, it's going to be interesting to see if Rand Paul or someone else uh, exercises the filibuster. I think that's also kind of a an un- we don't know whether that's going to happen. Um, I think if you had a straight up or down vote in the Senate, it would pass, but again, narrowly. I've talked about this with, with John Samples and Gene Healy as well as a, as a constitutional matter. The president has said, I'm going to ask Congress to take a vote on this. And however much of a cop-out that might be, uh, it's very encouraging. <laughs> yes, I will agree. I was pleasantly surprised when the president uh, chose to go to Congress. Uh, I was surprised because he didn't do so two years ago uh, before the Libya case. In the case of Libya, he had a UN Security Council resolution that he said provided him with sufficient authority. I think that was wrong. I think that was an incorrect reading of the law. But um, – it, w- it was encouraging that he chose to go to Congress. Um, and I think it will be encouraging if he's defeated or if, or if he wins. I've said – you know this, Caleb. I've said this repeatedly. I believe the U.S. military should be used for very specific reasons. That's to defend this country from harm, that the public should, should support it, that the military mission is clear and achievable, and that it's a last resort. Those are my four criteria. They're crystal clear. And I, and I have said in the past that if the president can convince the American people, a majority of the American people, that the national interest, the national security interest isn't the most important thing, that some other consideration should be taken, then – and if he wins the vote, then I'll say, fine, I'll fight like, like the Dickens to stop it you know, and argue, make my case and, and argue, et cetera. But if he, if he secures it, it's better than him just doing it in the face of overwhelming public opposition. So I'm glad to see this play out. We're seeing some very interesting coalitions, some, some uh, right-leaning groups, groups on the right who have not typically been involved in these sorts of debates are becoming involved in them. Uh, and, and we're also revealing the kind of core within the Republican Party that remains, remains in spite of everything that's happened, in spite of Iraq, in spite of Afghanistan, in spite of everything, there is a small core of Republican members of Congress who are absolutely committed to the use of force in nearly every instance. And those individuals have been forced to come out and state their case clearly, and it is clearly in opposition to what their constituents want. I think that's a useful exercise, too. Chris Preble is Vice President for Defense and Foreign Policy Studies at the Cato Institute. You can read more of his work at Cato.org.